Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing Podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. My guest today is someone who has been an inspiration to me as a content marketer and as an entrepreneur. He's the founder of The Tilt, and the Content Marketing Institute, and the Amazon best-selling author of Content, Inc. He's also about to launch a new event that I can't wait to talk about. But first, it's my honor to welcome to the podcast, Joe Polizzi. Hey, Joe. Lee, it's a pleasure being a po- I've been wanting to be on this podcast forever. I don't know what took so long, but but here I am. <laughs> well, it, wasn't for, it wasn't for lack of trying. Yeah, we all have busy schedules. I, you were, it's probably my fault. Yeah, no. You're the no, first I, on I the love, list. I, of course, we've been friends for a while, so it's good to talk uh, marketing and content creation and anything else you want to talk about. I appreciate it. I love to bring up, uh, I have a picture from when we first met when you were in your full orange and the orange gator shoes. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I've got a timestamp <laughs> when we first met. So, you, better- I, you know what? I haven't brought out that suit in a while. Of course, you know, you and I were talking before the show. We're not traveling as yeah. much as we used to, but. Maybe maybe next year. Maybe next year's the year it actually comes out of the closet. Because I, I still love the orange gator shoes. I mean, those play anywhere. <laughs> I told you, it reminded me of like some stores in Atlanta where all the pastors and preachers shop at. Because they have all the all the gator shoes and th- colors you would never imagine. Like orange, for example. <laughs> and, and Yeah, and I, I basically can't. I have a shoe problem. Oh. I can't get enough pairs of, of orange shoes. So <laughs> I think I'm probably, probably right now, I'm a little bit low. I probably got seven or eight pairs wow. that I could wear to an event. But if I'm going to kick this thing into gear, we're actually going to get back to traveling again. I'm going to have to step up my game. Step sure. it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, I, I know by now you're, you're in that league of people who, you know, are asked to tell your origin story over and over. And I hate to ask you, but I think it's valuable to give context to the other questions I'm going to ask you in a moment here. So briefly share with us your journey in and out of Content Marketing Institute, your books, and where you are today. Sure, yeah, I'll I'll try to hit just the important parts. (laughs) Uh, I was lucky enough to start in media and publishing. I fell into a job at a business-to-business publisher called Penton Media, and I ended up working in the custom publishing, custom media division, which, of course... Now everybody calls it content marketing. So this is back in 2000. I ended up taking over that department in 2001 simply because Penton was in such financial straits that they got rid of everyone else. When I started in February 2000, I, w- I think there was there were eight people between me and the CEO. And 18 months later, I was reporting to the CEO. Not on my strengths, but mind you, just to the fact that everyone else left. And I was cheap. I mean, I just started. I was a young kid. You know, got got my start in this whole thing. And I was so luckily because I fell in love with content marketing. So, of course, custom publishing, it, I started calling it content marketing in 2001 simply because 
it was a better way to sell to marketers. You know, I'm talking to marketers and you start talking about custom publishing, their eyes glaze over. They're like, publishing, whatever. But if you start talking about content marketing, at that time, they didn't know what it was, but they sure were interested, just like they're interested in social media marketing and search marketing and direct marketing and whatever. So we grew pretty well from 2001 to 2007. We were doing content marketing projects as a service for large B2B companies like Autodesk and Microsoft. But I always had that entrepreneurial bug. I got that bug. I've had it forever. But I started thinking about it in 2006 and then left Penton in uh, at the end of March 2007 to start what I thought was the greatest idea on the planet. And it was called Junta 42. It was going to be the eHarmony for content marketing. So we were going to match up brands with uh, journalists or writers or content creators that could do the work for them. And it was the greatest thing ever, except for the fact that by 2009, I was out of money. <laughs> I was out of money. We weren't making any money on the platform. And I literally said, well, even though I thought this was a good idea, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm making sure my all my uh, references are updated because I'm starting to look for a job. I mean, it got that bad. Now, luckily, my wife, you know, we, you and I were both talking about our, our better halves and how supportive they've been. She said, Joe, you know, you've been doing this for two years now. Stick with it a little bit longer, you know, be a little bit patient because I was I was feeling so sorry for myself at the time. I'm like, I thought this was an idea. I thought I was going to make it. Now, luckily, in 2007, when we started, I started the blog called The Content Marketing Revolution. And over that time, I'm blogging three times a week, sometimes four times a week about the how to of content marketing. And while I'm working on this eHarmony project, <laughs> I ended up building about 10 to 20,000 email subscribers specifically for what I was working on in the blog. And I start looking, start basically asking my subscribers about the time that I'm looking for a job. What do you need? What's going on? Or I go back through all the, uh, all the notes that I was getting or the blog comments. And, I'm, and I basically, it was like a come to Jesus moment because I'm like, here I am trying to sell something that my customers obviously don't want or can't afford. And what they're telling me to do, and I'm going through these emails just saying, Joe, do you, do you offer any content marketing training? Joe, we need some content marketing consulting. Joe, is there any events out there that I could take my team to around content marketing? I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Sitting you lab. You know, right lab. idea. <laughs> yeah, right idea for content marketing. It was the right time. Wrong business model. Switched everything. Junta 42 became Content Marketing Institute in 2010. We launched Chief Content Officer Magazine. We launched Content Marketing World in 2011. As you know, we were hoping for 150 people at the first Content Marketing World event in September of 11. We ended up getting 660 to that event. That event grew to 4,000 attendees by 2015. Um, the you know model took off, went from losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to I think our revenue hit 10 million in 2015. Sold the business in 2016 to UBM, now Informa, and you know, on and on we go. Now, the shorter part of this, because I don't want to take up the whole origin <laughs> story is, sold, took a sabbatical year in 2018, one of the greatest years of my life, and then became a mystery novelist, wrote a novel called The Will to Die, starring a marketing agency person. That's what I was going to do, Lee. I changed everything. And then COVID came along. Actually, it was the week of the book launch, and it was March 8th, 2020. That was the the book was launching and then everything changed in the world as we know. And then I started coming back to this 
creator economy because all my friends were getting laid off work or they were looking for a new opportunity and they wanted to stay home and build a business. So I said, oh, okay, well, I'll rewrite Content Inc., the book, which was for entrepreneurs. I wrote it in 2015. I rewrote it to come out in 2021. I said, well, I don't just want to write a book. We want to do more. Like, what can we do to help these content creators build real business models? And, you know, it's focusing on big enterprise marketers at Content Marketing Institute. But now today I'm focusing on bloggers and podcasters and YouTubers and how they can be financially independent. So launched the tilt in almost exactly a year ago, April, April of uh, 2021, went down the rabbit hole of Web3 and social tokens and NFTs. And we could talk about that. And here we are, <laughs> launched, uh, you know, the tilt is the company. We're all in on uh what we can do for content creators, launch the event Creator Economy Expo, which is in May in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And here I am, Lee. I was just, <laughs> I keep, Put some I'm still doing the content creation thing, but <laughs> kind of changed the tune, moved to another dance floor, and yeah. you know, here we are. So I, I love that you, you mentioned the tilt because I definitely want to dig into the tilt, the tilt coin, the upcoming event, Creator Economy Expo, all those things. I, I couldn't wait to talk about those things. But I do want to mention that when I hear your story, and I've, I've heard it a few times, I've read the books, each time I hear it, I'm inspired by the, the pattern of, you know, you try something, either you win or you lose. If you lose, you, you learn from it, and you get up and you try again. And, yeah. and also that you may start out slow, but persistence got you to much, a much higher level. And that's something I think every entrepreneur has to be able to understand and believe before they give up or give up too soon. Grit. Patience, you know, whatever. I think I was I was on some Entrepreneur of the Year thing that, that I was doing for EY one time and they were interviewing and they said, Come, what's your one word for entrepreneurship? Like, what's the one most important thing? I think one time I said it's patience. The other time I said it's grit. One time I said determination. Uh, it, to your point, you have, this takes time to build. You think when you're starting a business that it's all going to go to plan. Lucky for me, my five-year plan from a revenue standpoint almost hit the number, but it none of the products and services were the same. It was a it was a completely separate business. And if you'd have asked me 22 months in how the business is going, I'd have said I'm a complete failure. Mm. If you'd asked me at 26 months, I said, "Oh my god, I can't believe it. Everything's amazing." Wow! So that quickly, that's how it can turn. And that's when I'm talking to content creators who want to build a business. I'm like, you got to give it three years. You really do. It takes time to build a loyal audience. It takes time to, once you build that audience, to find the right product suite to offer that audience. And so I, I want to encourage entrepreneurs. And that's why when I started in 2007, my wife calls them the bologna and ramen noodle years. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we got rid of a car. Uh, we minimized our expenses down to whatever we could because we knew it was going to take a while to get there. And, uh, you know, I love the business model of content. It is my favorite business model. I think it can be launched by anyone anywhere in the world, but it takes time. And you have to deliver it consistently over that period of time to a niche audience. And then hopefully it all works out. So, yeah. I mean, and that's why I love entrepreneurs, because we're a little crazy. Yeah. And, and the two, <laughs> my two favorite words you say in there is, well, aside from entrepreneur, which I'm, I come from a family of that, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, as my dad was, but content and business. And I want to give a bit of a backstory of basically how I ended up connected to you. And so that comes from, you know, to, to connect the dots here. Um, 
in 2017, I was a B2B marketing director by day and by night. And for the previous year since high school, I love creating media from video to audio to written content. But I never considered bringing those two worlds together until people like Gary Vaynerchuk and yourself, Joe, began to explain the valuable, uh, the, how, how valuable non-advertising content was to business. And as a result, I launched Content Monster, my content production agency. Mm-hmm. Then in 2018, I went to Content Marketing World and I thought, I have found my tribe. <laughs> and I've spoken there every year since. So, you know, speaking of tribe, Joe, tell me, you know, you built an amazing connected community that through that event. So is there any secret sauce, you know, into building a community like that? Well, I mean, the, what's interesting is when I think of Content Marketing Institute, the, the t- I love the team. Of course, they're, they're all wonderful people and friends of mine. But I think of, you don't normally think of, I guess, what we would call our customers, our audience. That's what I think of. That is Content Marketing Institute. It's the people that speak there every day. It's, the, it's every year. It's the people that come back. It's the people that volunteer blog posts. It's the people that post on the blog, that, that write in the email newsletters. It, it takes a lot of people. I think that maybe what we did better when we launched this thing and really became Content Marketing Institute is we didn't say no to people that wanted to get involved. Mm. Like if they came to us and said, or we reached out, we reached out to a lot of people. Hey, I can't do this by myself. I need help. I need your expertise in this area. If I see I need search expertise, I'm like, Lee Oden, you know, can you, Lee, can you help me in this area? Let's say Marcus, uh, Marcus Sheridan, I need some help over here. And he would go ahead and come. Jay Bear would come. Ann Hanley, a bunch of wonderful people come to the table and they all made up Content Marketing Institute. And that's what excites me the most about the community that was built because it it is, I mean, I don't want to say it takes a village, but it does. Yeah, it take it absolutely takes a large group of people to pull off this thing. I mean, now you've got Content Marketing Institute. At least when we sold, and probably today, has about two hundred fifty thousand email subscribers. That wasn't because of the great marketing that Content Marketing Institute did. It was because everyone felt like they were tied to this thing of content marketing and that community, and it was important that everyone knew, especially marketers, knew how great this thing is. And how there absolutely is a way to build an audience that we don't have to do interruptive marketing anymore. That we can actually build a relationship. And that's the first and foremost. That's why I love marketing today. First, let's build a relationship. Let's deliver something of value to that group of people. Don't just ask them to buy something right away. Mm -hmm. And once you have a great relationship with them, six months, a year, 18 months, hopefully if all goes well, they'll buy from you. And it's not like a car used car salesman or whatever negative attribute you want to put to that. So that, that's where it really is a large group of people doing a lot of things and all moving together. And you and I guess my recommendation to people listening to this is don't say no to people that want to help. Even if you think you got it on your own or you want to hire somebody or whatever. I mean, we had hundreds and hundreds of people help us out for Content Marketing World. That blog, we have 365 blog posts a year. Uh, I would say that 400 of those blog posts came from the community, different people in the community. That's That makes a, an amazing content experience online when you bring all these people together and then they want to share and they bring more people in. So yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not as easy as maybe I'm making it sound, but... Well, I'll speak from the other side be, of that because I've, I've written blog articles and 
I've had to ask myself, you know, why is it I'm so open to writing for this organization? I'm not getting paid for it, but it was contributing yeah. to the tribe, to the community. And I've spoken at lots of events, but when those events are over, they're over. But it seems like content marketing world, our CMI is never over. You know, it's we we share on LinkedIn. It's always it's always on. Yeah, it's other. just one point. Yeah, it's yeah. just like one. It's, that's one one point where we all get together. We have our reunion. It's like a reunion. we learn a little bit, <laughs> and we take yeah we take that on and go yeah I really do look at it as a reunion because it's like oh you know you're looking at them, like hey you know you and I saw each other oh my god you know it's yeah. just like it's just it's a great feeling and maybe that's where we can, you know, you and I and the the whole group, we can help a little bit more because we believe that there's a better way to market. Because yeah. I do. And I wouldn't be in marketing right now if I didn't think that, look, it, there's, I, don't, I got nothing against advertising. Got nothing against traditional PR. All good things. But if you're asking me what my favorite and what I believe long-term the most effective one is, is delivering something of value and not asking for something in return. And if you do that over and over again and you just keep giving, just like the go-giver, if you just keep giving, great things will happen. And that might seem touchy-feely as a business model, but I think it's the greatest business model on the planet. Yeah. So talking about community, I think recently there was an article on, on The Tilt um, from our friend Mark Schaefer about community versus audience. So, yep. you know, I, I think as, as people listen, let's talk about community, they may be a bit confused as to, to the difference. So can you expand on the difference between or maybe even the value of one over the other sure. of building audience versus community. So audience, audience one pile, community in the next pile, both can work. So there's a lot of people out there saying you have to build an audience or you have to build a community. Well, first of all, you can choose. You do. So if I am on stage, you and I are speakers, right? We speak all over the place. If I'm on stage, and I'm talking to an audience of 300 people, and they aren't involved, and I'm, I'm disseminating information to them, and that's what I do on a regular basis. That's an audience. As soon as I start bringing those people in the audience up on stage to help me with my content and my information to share back and forth, I am building a community. We are all part of this. We are all growing together. We are all basically setting the curriculum of the future content to come. That is a community. So I'll give you an example. And, and at the Tilt, we have both, right? So the Tilt, we have an audience of 13,000 content creators that get our emails twice a week. That is an audience. We have a content product we deliver to an audience. But we have a Discord group of 1,200 people on that group, on that discussion forum. And there are conversations that go on in this group where we're all helping each other. That's a community. Both can work very, very well. How do we use what? We can monetize the audience. We could just, we don't have to have the Discord community, by the way. We could just monetize the audience, try to get them to come to an event. It could be very hands-off, monetize through sponsorship and direct uh, payment of something. Great. The community is where you get the insight to create even better content experiences than you thought was possible. That's what we look for because they're my... Yeah, they're my judge and jury over what content we're going to put out. They're the ones that give me the gut check and say, Joe, this sounds good with the business model and this doesn't. Or Joe, did you think about this? And they're all my friends. Like, and I, and I think it sounds weird, but I really feel close to these people. I talk to them every day. I go on there, I'll put a note and they'll reply, whatever. That's a community. And to your point, like your tribe, 
we're all kind of going in the same direction, trying to learn together. We're making mistakes together. Like when somebody joins, somebody joined Discord this morning and they said, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with these social tokens or Tilcoin, but I'm here to learn. I'm like, great. We're all learning. None of us have this figured out. Welcome. Enjoy the ride together. If you need anything, let us know. And then those people get more involved. So I, I'm more passionate about a community, but I understand the business model of an audience. So I want to give some background as to how we how you led into this this new chapter with the tilt. Um, so last fall, I had the honor of hanging out with you and your wonderful wife Pam after Content Marketing World, and you introduced me to the term content entrepreneur. And once again, Joe, you delivered a term that gave me clarity to what I was already doing, and I, and I appreciate having that term now to use, even to define to my mom, what, what do I do? So I can tell her I'm a, I'm a content entrepreneur. Awesome. <laughs> so, you know, expand on what you mean by a content entrepreneur. I, so when I started, so I've been, been a content entrepreneur really since 2007, since I left because content is the center of the business. I'm trying to build an audience and monetize that audience. But there's a lot of weird terms out there. You hear creator economy, you hear content creator, you hear influencer. Some of these people use the, some people use these terms interchangeably. But I'm like, well, what separates what you're doing, Lee, and what I'm doing? What we're doing is, yes, we're creating lots of content and we're trying to build an audience. But first and foremost, we're trying to build a business. We're trying to be financially independent. We're trying to provide for our families in some way. That's an entrepreneur. What kind of entrepreneur are we? We're in the business of content. And that's the whole thing about reusing content to build an audience, and then you launch products and services from that audience that you build that you've done really, really well at Content Monster, and I'm trying to do at the tilt. So I think that's what the true meaning of content entrepreneur is. You want to start with entrepreneur. And that's where I have a problem. And I'm, look, I use content creator all the time. I use influencer depending on all it all, but but because you're a content creator and a influencer, it doesn't mean you're in the business of becoming trying to become financially independent. Could be a hobby, could be a side hustle, which is all fine. But when I hear content entrepreneur, this person is in business for themselves. They've taken the jump. They've made, they've made all the risks. They put their security out on the line in order to create something amazing. How are they doing that? They're doing it by building an audience. And that becomes a podcaster, a blogger, a YouTuber, a Twitch streamer. You know, you can look at all of those or a combination or whatever, e-newsletter uh, deliver, whatever it is, book publisher, speaker, lots of different ways to do it. Um, so that's why I love that term. And it seems to be catching on a little bit. So I'm just going to keep pushing that term like we push content marketing and hopefully good things will happen. Well, it definitely did last time. So in terms of this, <laughs> this time, it, uh, we're still living it. I mean, content marketing, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing to be able to talk to you and to Robert Rose and to, to hear the origin story of a term, even though you guys say you didn't invent the term, you gave what existed a name. But f from the bigger high-level picture, yeah, you kind of invented the term. You brought it to the to the public side. So Well, thank, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I was, the term that I know came out in 95. I was probably the first one to use it that I know of and trying to popularize it. And then, of course, the whole team and the community together came with Content Marketing Institute. So Maybe you marketed again, content marketing. 
<laughs> group effort. Yeah, I could have should have just trademarked it or <laughs> something like that. But yeah, I, again, and I'll say this a million times. I'm glad that content marketing stuck, but I don't care what you call it as long as you use it. Like that's I really don't care because you could call it custom publishing, custom media branded content, member communications, member media. There's all kinds of different terms out there. I just happen to know that, and as a marketer, you probably agree. Marketers are simple people. We really are not overcomplicated. We we know we're in marketing, so just call it something marketing. And it's just a lot easier to sell from yours and mine. Stay when you're talking to your clients and I'm talking to readers, just a lot easier to sell when you call it marketing. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of the, the new term or the, the term where you're going to establish of content entrepreneurs, you've got some research on that. And I think I might have even, even been a part of that, you know, responding to some of the polls, but... And I'm going to make sure I, I link to this uh, research in, in the show notes. But tell Thank us you. about what that research found in terms of, you, you mentioned some things earlier, but I know there's some interesting numbers in there too in terms of yeah, who is a content entrepreneur. Thank you. Uh, we did we did our first research project last year. We're actually in the process of, of renewing that right now. We've got a survey in the field, so I'm really excited about it. And, and basically what we found is it does take in order to be financially sustainable, it really does take between three and five years. Um, so that that's really, you, you think like, oh, that's a long time. But then if you're an entrepreneur, you're like, no, that's, I mean, that's almost all businesses take that long. I don't care what you're long. So it's just a different way to go. Um, the good news about it is it doesn't necessarily take as much upfront capital to launch a business like this. It usually takes a lot of time and energy we also found from really smart content entrepreneurs that are doing it well is when they start, most of their efforts go to promoting the content, not creating the content. So that's something that gets lost. You think that, oh my God, you're creating content all the time. No, you're creating content maybe 25% of the time. And about 75% of the time, you need to be promoting it. By the way, I don't care if you're in a large enterprise or you're an individual. That's sort of the way you need to do it. You got to forget that the content's not going to find itself. You know, you have to, you, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a blog or your TikTok stream or whatever, you can hope the algorithm will work, but you really got to work on on promoting it. So those are some of sort of some of the things that I found. I think the, the one thing, and I've talked about this in my book, Content Inc., and a lot of people just don't realize that you really have to focus on being great at one thing. And this is what we found throughout the research and we continue to is that those content entrepreneurs who really become successful focus on being amazing at one thing. So podcasters, podcast. Bloggers, blog. Uh, YouTubers are on YouTube. Twitch streamers are on Twitch. Now, it doesn't say that they're not using other social platforms. It doesn't mean that they might not promote on up, but there's a home base. So what's your home base? Like for The Tilt, our home base is our email newsletter. Twice a week. That's what we focus on. Like you might say that yours is your podcast, I would imagine, right? So this podcast, that's from a content standpoint, that is your home base. For Content Marketing Institute, when we got started, it was absolutely the blog. And now you might see people, Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast is YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Rogan, podcast, you know, whatever, go down the line. And where a lot of marketers get in trouble is they want to boil the ocean. They want to be everywhere. And I was like, oh, I, got, I want to do the podcast and then we're going to be on Twitter and do this special thing on LinkedIn and then we're going to figure out Snapchat or, you know, whatever. They're going, you know, the, the re I remember I saw research that said the average marketer distributes content in 14 to 16 different places. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, what a waste of time. 
It's like, you can't be great in 14 to 16 different places. You maybe can be great in two. So, but pick one and then pick maybe two channels for you to, you know, leverage from a social standpoint and be amazing at those. And then honestly, until you become the New York Times or Red Bull Media House, just forget the rest. Just focus on being great at those things. Yeah, I noticed as you described basically being spread too thin for that some people are doing, you mentioned yeah. both platforms and content types. Like some try to go yes. to too many platforms, some try to do too many content types. And even from a content entrepreneur standpoint, my company started out doing uh, written articles, video, podcasts, SEO, way too much stuff. And we realized that the hardest kind of content to make has been video and podcasts. And so our company has niched down to say, you know what? We just produce the big content. We don't even try to do as much writing. Um, And so we've had to narrow down too. And then with my own personal, um, I noticed that depending on who my audience member is, they may perceive my base as being a different base. Like some may say my base content is podcasting. Others may say, oh, no, Lee only does videos. Another one says, well, he's only on LinkedIn. Um, and my base platform is LinkedIn. Um, and so just the past year has been LinkedIn and podcast. So, <laughs> you know, that kind of nails no, it that's, that's a great explanation because a lot of people forget that because you, you really do choose one of each one. So from a content type, is it audio, vixtu- audio video, textual, plus image? So you basically got have those three. Mm-hmm. And then from a platform, I mean, you have, you know, 40 different platforms realistically that you could choose and then 10 that you might want to narrow down and say, okay, what does this, but then they pair, right? So, mm-hmm. okay, if you're really good, like you're an amazing DJ, you got a great, you got the, the DJ voice, you're like, okay, podcasting makes sense. Yeah, I'm also good on camera, I could do that. I'm not a great writer, I'm not good. So for me, I'm my natural state is writing. I love to write, I'm halfway decent at writing. So that's why the blog was first and foremost. And then, you know, then you could figure out what that secondary platform is. We chose to go email so we could have a little bit more control over the process and have that first party data and that direct connection. But, and you know, it's like LinkedIn's great platform can work really well, but all those fans and followers, you don't have a, you don't own that data. You don't control that. LinkedIn could cut off your access tomorrow. Not that they will, but they could. So we as content entrepreneurs have to prepare for that. So we say, okay, well, do I get them over to my e-newsletter? Do I launch a social token? You know, what do I what do I do so I can have direct connection? So there's a lot of things to think about because you have so many social platforms right now that are just trying to extract value from their content creators and their audience. And that's all they're doing. And they don't want you off the platform at all. And if you link to anything outside, you're not going to get any promotion of that article. You do go go to Facebook and put a link in the post. Nobody will see it. <laughs> It'll crash. Nobody yeah, will see it, for it because yeah. Mark Zuckerberg knows he wants everybody to stay on that platform. Why are they cutting down on their news stuff? Because news creates a link to another site. So they're getting rid of all that. And it go down the line. Go, TikTok does the same thing. LinkedIn is starting to do the same uh, thing. Yeah, so we to. have to start. We have to start changing. I'm like, okay. There's a specific purpose that we're on these social platforms. We're going to create original content for those sites. And then we've got to have some call to action going to something else so that we're not beholden to these social platforms. Yeah. And, and I noticed, and correct me if I'm wrong, I went to the tilt.com. That's the address, right? Your website. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the link that I clicked to get to it, it may have been from a newsletter. I don't know. Or maybe I think I just actually typed it in directly. 
the first page was just a newsletter subscription. Is that correct? That is correct. Absolutely. My first thought was that, that'd be genius. <laughs> Only Joe would, have <laughs> bought, would be brave enough to do that, but it is genius. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, it's funny when we first launched that, it only had, here's what it is and here's the sign up. That's it. And then I was talked to by a few of the team members to add in the research. And then we do have some links at the bottom so you can scroll and That's see. That's what I did next. But really, there's, yeah, there's only one call to action because I'm like, all I want you to do is one thing and subscribe because all the content that we have is contained in the newsletter. Now, once you're a subscriber, and you go, then you're into the back door and whatever. Now you can get there if you're in, or if you're new, but well, I think yes, I was on. I'm on I really only computer. care about one thing. I yeah, care new about computer, a new browser, probably not cookied, and I didn't click anything to get there. You know, I bypassed any kind of you know URL redirects from email, or whatever. I typed it in. That's what I saw, and I'm glad I saw it because I, I loved that I saw it. Otherwise, I'm already on your newsletter, and so whatever link I clicked would have taken me somewhere else probably directly to an article. That's right. You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't have seen I've that's right. Seen as, as a subscriber, you'll never see that page. Yeah. yeah. You'll ne- and then you got you got to realize, I mean the home the home page, I mean it depends on your business model, right? The home page for us has one purpose, and that's to create a subscriber. That is the only purpose. The rest of the site, that is to keep subscribers. Yeah. And then, and then of course we have some search engine pages where we get people in and calls to action and things like that. So you, and so it's good for anybody to realize. Oh, what what's the purpose of my website? What's the purpose of different pages of my website? So then you get into a little bit of you know, complicated math and figuring out what makes sense for your business model and what you put out there and what you don't. But yeah, I love having a home simple homepage. This is what it's for. Subscribe or don't. It's Hopefully beautiful. you will. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> It was so good that I was already subscribed when I finally found saw it. So, <laughs> that's, no. well, that's of course it. you were. You were nice. I think I, I think you subscribed before I even had the product out. You were just nice enough to say, ah, "Joe's got something. We'll check it out. Hopefully, it's good." Exactly. It's so, not. It's not going to be a waste. Yeah. Of, it's not, it won't be spam if it's coming from Joe. I'll be interested. So, you know, that's community, right? I already trusted. Exactly. <laughs> we, we touched on something a moment ago. We, we were talking about different types of content, and I want to ask you this because you've been focused on content marketing long enough to have seen some evolution. And, you know, I I don't think that we're at a point where it's one content type versus another, but I'm sure you've seen some trends in terms of what's changed, what's become more or less popular to businesses. What have you seen change there? Oh my God. It's, it's it's completely changed because when I started in 2000, content, the majority of content marketing were print magazines. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what I started. I, I probably helped launch and been part of launch teams of 75, 80 different magazine launches. And so that's what we went for. And, and it was it came out of loyalty. I mean, everything was about this loyalty experience. Like, for example, you know, I'm a Walmart customer. I get the customer card. I'm, Walmart's going to send me a magazine. Or, I mean, I get, I, I'm a Mazda owner. I get Mazda's magazine every month, Zoom Zoom or whatever it's called. That they're trying to keep me as a customer. It's a loyalty-driven initiative. And then once we got it really into Web 2, if you will, and, and into more uh, digital content, things really started to move over to demand generation. Oh, I can get found on Google and people are going to find me that way. And so, oh, I'm going to create really good informational content. Or like Marcus Sheridan says, I'm going to answer all the questions that my customers might have, I would come up, they end up going to, to the business. 
Um, so we moved away. And now today, I mean, print is a very risky proposition or seemingly risky. I think it's a great opportunity. But a lot of people say, oh, no, I've got to be digital. So you move into that. You had this flood then go into social where everyone said, well, we don't need our own platforms like email newsletters and, uh, and print magazines. We're just, we can just do everything on Facebook. I mean, you remember, you probably talked to customers that said, I don't need a website. Oh my God, yes. I just put it on Facebook. That was an error. And then you're like, today you're like, oh no, I hope they didn't do that <laughs> because you get no control at all for your business. And so you saw that happen. And now I think you really come, there's, there's two things happening right now. I think people are saying, we definitely want to use social, social media platforms to help our business, but I'm a little nervous about it. I'm a little scared to be on rented land. And so you get a lot of people that are thoughtful about what's the platform that we can create? What's the destination that we can create so that people will come to us directly so that they don't have to, I don't have to go through a social platform. The other thing, and you know this because you, you know much more about it than I do, the trend toward video is going so fast and is so important. And you see, of course, TikTok and their algorithm. You see Instagram moving from photos to coming out and saying that they're now a video site which happened really, really quickly. Facebook, you want to get found on Facebook? I'll tell you right now how to do it. Video. So YouTube, YouTube Shorts. So LinkedIn, mm -hmm. video. It's crazy. All these platforms that used to be textual and image are all now going to video. So I still believe in search engine optimization, getting found in text in, in Google. I, I love the audio channel podcasting. I love, uh, of course, Email newsletters I love because of the direct connection and the subscribability. But if you're asking me everywhere else, video is the answer. Video is the answer. Like it or not, that's yeah. the way, and that's the way the algorithms are going. If you want to use social, I think so. When I when I first began as a marketer in B two B and corporate, it was a question of do we need a blog on our website? Because our websites didn't have a blog section. They didn't have a place mm -hmm. to give any content or just educate versus just sell, sell, sell. And then eventually I figured out, okay, well, that's standard. You almost you, you won't get any search results if you don't have some more content than your product pages. So mm -hmm. now my clients are all B2B. Uh, my podcast clients are all B2B. And they're getting, we're getting to a point where businesses are, I think, heading towards you should have a podcast. I think eventually it will be a default. Now, they were already on to video, but they were on to this corporate, big-budget, commercial-looking, big yeah. video. And they're slow to come into modern video. They still see TikTok and YouTube Shorts as, you know, B2C is what the kids are doing kind of thing. Sure. And it'll take a while for them to catch up. But interesting thing that's happening, though, is that our podcast clients are now seeing their podcast as a way to get into video. And so we're like, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a route to get sure. there. Um, but also, and I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to, there's someone I saw this morning on LinkedIn it was a CFO of a company, no, a founder of a company who was walking out around his plant with his cell phone talking to people. And I wanna, I'm going to repost that to say, you know what? People should do more of this. You know, even though I sell video production, I still want to promote what you should do as a good content marketer. This sure. guy spent zero dollars on this video, shut off his whole plant, some of his employees. And if I'm in that industry, I'm seeing his product lines and his factory, the end result is probably even better than this super polished video. And like I said, again, I could be shooting myself in the foot here because we sell, we produce polished videos. 
But, you know, we also consult people on the best way to do content marketing to produce video and to produce audio. And I think companies are just now coming around to they don't have to spend a million dollars to get a decent piece of content. That's right. That's right. And, and I love that you pointed out all those video types because there are many different models to doing this. There are the, hey, I'm going to get up every day and do my 10-second video on TikTok. Uh, you've got the, oh, I'm going to do a minute uh, and use YouTube shorts or whatever the case is. Or I'm going to do my episodic about a you know key customer and we're going to do nine episodes of that. And that, that's something that you might work on. Great. And I'm still a big believer in documentaries. I love them going into a deep dive into a topic and there's a place for that. But what works in all of them is consistency. Mm. Pick your frequency of what you're going to do and make that work. So that example of the, of the gentleman that's holding up the phone and talking to customers, whatever, you know how that would really, really work? Did that once a week, every Friday. Every Friday, I'm going out and I'm talking to customers. I'm talking to employees or whatever the case is. Then it really takes off. And that's what a lot of people miss is, um, I mean, look at most of your, you know, you, you talk to a prospect and you probably do a content audit and you're looking at their YouTube page and it's sporadic. That's every YouTube page is sporadic. Mm-hmm. Well, the ones that work, the, the uh, Mr. Beast of the world, the game theories of the world, go to any great YouTuber out there. What do they do? They deliver consistently over a long period of time. Done. Whatever the content is. So just pick the frequency. So if it's episodic, you might say, oh, I'm going to do one once a week or once a month. If it's documentary, maybe it's once every six months. And if it's the short form, then you pick, oh, maybe it's every other day or every day or whatever. You know, I pick might the even... one that makes the most sense yeah. and you will see the best results. I'm glad you mentioned the consistency because when we examine a potential customer to produce content for them, B2B, we might look at their consistency. And if we see, oh, they did two episodes and quit for eight months or three episodes or, you know, to us that says, okay, this is a client who is going to be, I guess, flaky in terms of their commitment to content marketing. And we may opt not to work with them because we realize they don't, either they don't understand, we may try to educate them first. If we can't educate them and convince them that you need to stick to this longer, they're going to be coming back to us when they flake after two episodes and go, oh, you know what? We didn't get any sales from that. <laughs> and so we want to make mm-hmm. sure that they understand content marketing and that they understand it's a long game before we even get into a business deal with someone like that. A t- quick story. I used to work with a company, friends of mine, it was called, the agency was called McMurray, and I learned this from them they would never sell any deals less than three years. And this is mostly for print magazines. But while their competition was out there, they would sell a one-time issue or a six to nine-month project. They said, nope, we're always doing three years. And I would ask them, I was like, what's the, is that, is that a you know, sales technique, whatever? He says, yeah, it's a sales technique. But I can't promise them that it's going to work in less than a year. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. It takes a long time to build a loyal audience. It takes a long time to find my content niche and our content tilt. And where were the di- where, what's our differentiation area with all this content? How do we cut through the clutter? I, he says, I'm pretty sure that in three years, we can build an audience, do it right, find our voice, find our audience. So what? that's print. That was, what, 20 years ago? Same thing today. Video, audio, um, whether it's uh, pictures or photos or uh, pictures or video or whatever you decide to do, text or email, it all works the same. And that's why I always go back to my history and say, well, how are media companies built? Same way. That's the difference is they just don't stop. And 
Look at whatever, how many millions of podcasts are there out there? But when you look at that number, it's not a real number. Most of those podcasts are dead. They've already stopped producing. And that's the opportunity because this really is a marathon and not a sprint. And those that keep running, keep running, will ultimately win. Definitely. Well, you said the magic word, tilt. So I want to get back to that. <laughs> and and, and to, to the listeners, if it sounds like I'm giving Joe the floor to do an all-out promotion, well, I am. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> Because behind all of his businesses, I know that Joe's a great human being. Plus, he's given so much that I want to do my part to return the blessings in his direction. So, Joe, tell me all about the Tilt, the Tilt coin, and how you're using the Tilt coin for Creator Economy Expo. Sure. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It goes goes both ways, my friend. So, uh, thetilt.com, if you're interested in content creation, and learning about how to be better at it. So the tilt.com, just subscribe, and then you'll get the newsletter. As part of that, as central to that, we launched, when we launched the tilt, we also launched Tilt Coin. It's a social token, a creator coin on the Rally Network, and it's our own little currency that we use in the business. So when you sign up for the tilt, uh, and you do you take one extra step and sign up on Rally, we send you $5 in Tilt Coin. And then if you ever refer that, uh, the tilt to any of your friends, we send you more five dollars. And, and I'll tell you, today was an interesting day because we had so many referrals. I think we gave away something like twenty four hundred dollars in tilt coin to a whole lot of people, which I love doing because that means we're getting a lot of subscribers and everyone's talking about the tilt, so everything's working really well. Now the great thing is, we wanted to make tilt coin a utility. So of course, it's a cryptocurrency. It's on the blockchain. I'm not going to get too technical with that. But you can use it. What can you use it for? Well, if you have Tilcoin, you can use that to buy some of our training. If you want to use it for free merchandise or use that in exchange of merchandise, you can pay for it with Tilcoin. If you want to go to our event, Creator Economy Expo, you can use Tilcoin for that. So we have some people in our community that basically get all their training for free. They go to the event for free, for free. But they all they've done is they've helped be part of the community and build that. And then they, they we use Tilcoin to do that. Lots of other things with the social token. Uh, I love the idea of a decentralized piece of ownership for our audience. I'm all in on that. I know this show is not about that, but I'm real big on NFTs and social tokens. My advice to everyone would be practice. Don't go in too fast. We're still early days here. So we're experimenting just like everyone else. And then part of this whole thing is our event, May 2nd through 4th, Arizona Grand and Phoenix Creator Economy Expo. We've got 40 of the world's leading, leading content entrepreneurs there to talk about how they're building their business, how they're driving audience, new revenue streams, content operations. And then 25% of the conference is talking about what the heck is this Web3 thing mm-hmm. and how do we deal with it? So I would love everyone to attend that, that CEX.events, CEX.events to sign up. And uh, and if anybody's interested to go, if you use my last name, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I, that's P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I, you get $400 off the rate. So... I'm not supposed to give that rate out to a lot of people, but because my wife gets mad at me. But <laughs> I just want you there. I just would like to there, meet you in person, and then we can all go through this journey together. That's great. I love how you describe it as a journey um, because, I mean, it's... It is. And you also mentioned that, you know, you said that you didn't want to get too technical about the tilt coin or whatever, but I think the utility of a tilt coin or of any altcoin or any uh, cryptocurrency, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the internet in the early 90s. It's like, whether you, whether you think it applies to your industry or not, it will. 
you know. Yeah. So people say, may say, well, you know, I don't want to get into NFTs or or tokens or cryptocurrency or buying, you know, NFTs. It's only a matter of time. You can only push it off so far before it will be a part of your world if you're still active, right? I totally agree with that. It's not even going to be called NFTs. The underlying technology that's going to be used on the public blockchain is just a thing. It's already a thing. And you're going to be, like I talked to somebody, that, or I was talking to Brian Fanzo the other day, and he was talking about how in the future, your days off that you get from a corporate environment could be an NFT. Nobody's going to call them an NFT. They're going to be your days off. They're going to go in your digital wallet. You'll be able to exchange and gift them to somebody else. You'll be able to sell them to somebody that's out of days off, but they're going to be NFTs. So again, don't get caught up in the in the terminology when we're, you know, really to your point about early 90s, we're talking about Alta Vista and Net, Netscape. Yeah, we're still in Netscape. We're so time. early in the process, <laughs> we don't know. But what I, what I, where I went down the rabbit hole in October 2020, Lee, was the idea that we have this value exchange for content. I'm delivering some amazing value and a content experience to an audience member, a community member, and in return, they're giving me data. So that's kind of where we're sharing. You add in Web3, social token NFT, you add in ownership of digital property to that audience member. I believe that's a game changer. I believe that's more powerful than anything we've ever seen. I believe the token could be the unit of measure for the entire internet. And that's what's been missing. So that's why I'm big on this and experimenting and practicing and figuring out what the business models are. So we've already sort of figured out the social token model. We have, it's like a membership. We use the social token as a membership and a currency. It's worked fairly well for us. The NFT model we're testing as well. Like I love the idea of access or utility with NFTs. So for example, Creator Economy Expo, we have our NFTs. It's called CEX Never Ending Tickets. And the idea is if you buy our NFT, you get a ticket for life. So just like, for example, I'm a Cleveland Browns football uh, ticket holder. If I bought a never-ending ticket to the Browns, I would get into every game for the rest of my life. So that's the idea. We're launching that. So far, I think we've sold 27 of them or something like that. And so it's gone really well, and I'm excited. But those are our super fans. So if you think about NFTs today, and you're early, you, know, you think about, okay, what am I going to give to my super fans? What kind of access? What kind of utility? Um, don't get sucked in by the overpriced JPEGs because everyone goes to what they heard in the media and old people, 69 million and all that stuff. No, no, no. You're not buying a JPEG, folks, with an NFT. You're buying what's under that, what, what it represents, the smart contract underneath. Do you get rights to do something? Do you get to meet someone in some place? Do you get, you know, what do you get? What is it useful for? And that's our whole next stage of NFTs. We're going from art NFTs to now all sorts of things. And you know, music NFTs are hot right now. I mean, that's sort of the next stage that's going on. What about the secondary you're market? See, Isn't there an element where the owner of the NFT, the original owner can get, or the, I guess the person who created it or minted it, yes. they can get some residual income each time it sells, right? So this is the reason why it's amazing for creators. Uh, there's a, so do you know the musician RAC? By yeah. chance, or mm -hmm. so RAC, Portuguese-born musician. I think he lives out in Portland. He told a story about how he gets, I think it's monthly, something like three point two million streams on Spotify every month, which is amazing. He said, 
I sold in, so for whatever revenue he makes in a year off of that Spotify, he said he made more off of selling five NFTs to super fans. Mm. And once those super, once you buy that, you could go to OpenSea, which is a marketplace and go to a lot of other ones as well. But every time that flips hands, RAC gets a commission because you set it up in the agreement that way. So that's wonderful. So all these artists, when they used to sell a piece of art, or a musician used to sell music, you get paid one time, right? Now, every time that thing is sold over and over again, they automatically on the blockchain, it takes care of itself. It drops that money into their digital wallet because they set it up that way. That's why some of the, now you've got millionaires, yeah. some, some of these creators out there because of all the secondary market action that's going on. So that's why I love it. Creators are always paid no matter what because they set the terms. And they don't have to worry about the big platforms, basic like a Spotify um, or whatever, Not universal music, whatever, yeah. setting the terms. Because I yeah. was in the music industry exactly. pretty heavily, I guess, and when, when Napster came around and, and knocked the music in industry in the head and was like, okay, we're going to change yeah. things. We're going to give some more ownership to, if not the musicians, to the fans. In that case, the musicians, the artists lost quite a bit in that as well as the labels, but the fans won. Maybe in this case, both the fans and the actual creator will win. That, that's right, because the music can still be listened to. You're not saying that person only can listen to that music if they buy music NFT. That music's out there. You can still distribute it. You're just saying you're giving them rights to own that song and to take the rights of that song and they can monetize it in multiple different ways. Like I'm a part of a, a NFT community called Crypto Dads. It's, mm -hmm. it's whatever it is. It's a fun community. Like Brian Fanzo and I are both owners. But I own one. And that image of that Crypto Dad, I can use it and I can start a whole line of chips with it or Orange Pop or whatever using that image because they gave me the rights to do that. So there's all sorts of these new business models that you've never come across before. And so my, if anybody's listening to this and their head spinning and they're like, what? Social <laughs> tokens and whatever. All you got to do, just practice, follow a creator that's, that launches something cool, maybe open a MetaMask wallet, fund that MetaMask wallet with a couple hundred dollars of ETH and go find a project, inexpensive JPEG, buy it, you know, you get involved in it, you start learning. And then that's when you're saying, oh my God, now I see the business model, not for a creator, for an audience, for a community. And as you could tell, I'm a little excited about it. Well, you know, it. That's what I say because we don't, the end, these are whole new mention. business models. Yeah, we don't know. And as yeah. entrepreneurs, we 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 love these pivots because we know that there's two, typically opportunities when the, when there's these big shifts, and we know that the advantage is being willing to dig into this unknown area. And that's, that's exactly <laughs> well, like from a reward standpoint, like you and I can do, like we're doing our own rewards program. You and I could do a rewards program. Where it would really pay off is if Starbucks changed their entire rewards program to a token where I can use those rewards at Starbucks, but I can cash them out for real money or I could take that and use it on another platform. Now, that's value. Right now, I get my Starbucks rewards. The only thing I can get is like a free Danish or a new or a coffee. I can't get anything else. But we're going to start thinking and, and, and customers are going to demand a better overall experience. And a part of this has to do with their ownership and control over what they feel is theirs. That's my rewards. I got an email the other day from a hotel uh, chain that said, your thousand reward points are coming to an end in May and you got to do something with them. And I said, I thought they were my rewards points. They're not obviously my rewards points because you're taking them away from me in May. Mm -hmm. So then again, 
the token can solve that. So it's very exciting. And you're right. Entrepreneurs are going to be the first ones there. That's great. Well, Joe, we've got to wrap up. And I'll tell you, I really appreciate that you took time to chat with me today. Um, I look forward to supporting your next moves. I look forward to uh, making it to the conference when I can and supporting and love what you're doing, Joe. So thanks again. It goes both ways, Lee. Thank you for all the support. And, uh, and of course, uh, we, do, we are doing this together. You and I are on similar paths together. We're just trying to educate and help people. So it's, it's fun to be on that journey with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks to the listeners. If you're listening to the podcast and want to also see Joe and I, video of the podcast and others will be available in the podcast section of contentmonster.com. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.